Father, you are glorious, and you have shown us that through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that now you would gather us around that truth, that comforting truth, and make a community out of, a, a community out of us because of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, now, before we get into tonight's sermon, I wanted to uh, show you a video that was just recently produced by our own uh, Will Jellicorse that just basically, well, some of you are in it, a good number of you are in it, basically tells people what they find special about Epiphany. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and play the video and then uh, we'll continue on. I appreciate going to a church in a neighborhood where I live. I think that it's really important for churches to be a part of their local community, and I think Epiphany does a really good job with that. So I've really grown through just the relationships here at Epiphany. God has really worked through the people here. You know, people from all walks of life, from, from Singapore and Germany and, you know, different parts of the States. Epiphany for me has provided a family of believers, which I think is probably one of the most important facets of, of faith is to have a community and people that can hold you accountable and that can pray over you, pray with you, and that can really just help encourage you in your spiritual growth. People come and stay and I, I just appreciate that so much that, that we've had so many people come and actually make this their home and be a part of it and uh, come together as, uh, as a family. So I, I'm a student uh, at New York University very close to this church. I actually live five minutes away um, and it's really great to have Epiphany in the neighborhood. I feel like New York is such a difficult place to find like a community of people who are not all the same necessarily, but share the same values and the same aspirations as young people. And I think Epiphany really has that. And I think that it's really special to be able to come every Sunday and see your friends. Well, uh, sorry if it made you cringe, any of you that were in the video, but uh, I think that video was pretty special, and I think uh, one of the reasons why is because of a word that you hear over and over and over in it. Does anybody know the word? You're free, feel free to shout it out. What word did you hear more than any other word in that video? Community, Community yes. Community is all over that video, and it turns out for all the bells and whistles that we may have here, I mean, it's a beautiful building, beautiful space, you know, all that. The reality is, uh, when it comes down to it for so many of us, community is what has been the factor and has made so much of a difference. And that's really what we're going to talk about tonight. So let me uh, just pause for a real quick word of prayer. Uh, worship team, you can go ahead and uh, find a place to sit and then we'll, we'll get right into it. Father, guide the words of my feeble mouth my imperfect lips so that you would indeed create and foster a deeper sense of community with us tonight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as important as community is, uh, not everyone who has stepped foot in a church throughout history and certainly in my life can say that they have appreciated the community as well. Uh, I remember years ago when I was pastoring the church that I pastored for just under six years in California, I met a guy who had used to go, used to, go to the church. I saw him at, at Starbucks and I ran into him, and, uh, and, but I hadn't seen him for a while at church, and so I could see he was just, you know, like, 
you know, a little uncomfortable. And I was trying really hard to make sure that he knew, like, it's cool, it's cool. I'm not here to, like, I'm not the police. I'm not here checking up on you. I'm just, how you doing? You doing okay? I want to make sure that he does have somewhere that he's, you know, fellowshipping, that he's connecting with people. And he looks at me and he says, well, yeah, we're, we're not really going to a church anymore. Uh, in, instead, we've decided to home church it. And I asked, what, it, what does that mean exactly, home church it, to home church? And it turns out that it meant exactly like it sounded. It meant that he, on a Sunday, you know, at some point we gather his family around, he would open the Bible, he'd read the Bible for a little bit, he might try and teach the Bible a little bit, maybe they'd sing some songs, and that was it. Now, uh, don't get me wrong, uh, that is a good practice to do. It's a good thing to do. If you have a family and you read the Bible to them, you try and teach them the Bible, you sing with them, man, that's great. But, as I told him, I'll tell you, that's uh, not really church. It's not church. Uh, church, according to the biblical definition of the phrase or the term, is a gathering, a community of people from all tribes and tongues and nations and backgrounds and you name it, gathering under one banner, the banner of Jesus Christ. Church is where God invites us to receive gifts, his means of grace for us to partake in together. And what this friend of mine was advocating for was a sort of Lone Ranger Christianity. I'll do it myself, I can take care of myself. The reality is, as much as other people might bug us sometimes, and we'll get on our nerves, it's just a fact, we're made for them. And from the very beginning, uh, God says it. It's not good for man to be alone. He says it before even sin enters the world. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. To the very end of God's story, where we see there's hordes of people all together surrounded, uh, surrounding and gathered around the throne of God in worship, it's clear that we cannot flourish in this life without other people without community. So the preacher of Ecclesiastes, which we're back in tonight, recognizes that fact. And our passage tonight is going to talk all about that. So if we go to the next slide, we can read uh, from verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and is not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together... They keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So what does the writer, what does the preacher of Ecclesiastes say we benefit from community? What is, why is it necessary? What do we get from it? Well, I think he points out three things. First of all, points out we have, with community, greater accomplishment than when we're doing something on our own. Greater accomplishment. Verse 9 again. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now, as many of you know, I work with an organization called Christ Hold Fast. That top sticker on my laptop is our logo, CHF. 
And you know, one of the reasons that I love working with that group is because literally it is a collective of some 30 writers and pastors from many different backgrounds, Episcopalian, Baptist, non-denominational, Presbyterian, Reformed, Pentecostal, Lutheran, you name it, they're all there and they're all part of the same group. We're all working together. Now, if any one of us were to try to just go do something all by ourselves, we wouldn't go very far. That's true. But together, we're able to pool our resources to create a bunch of different podcasts each week to reach tens of thousands of people around the world. And we host conferences for hundreds, sometimes, well, altogether thousands of people. We get to write books to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors. Why? Because two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. I see this here now at Epiphany when we set up every Sunday for our worship service. I mean, this stuff all has to be set up and taken down. Initially, when we started, it was me and Dominic would get here and we would be setting up everything on our own. Um, there were plenty of Sundays where I uh, had set up everything on my own and vice versa, Dom would set up everything on his own. And let me assure you, it goes really slow when you're doing it all by yourself. But now we have this group of people that are here before the service and it goes super fast, it's super efficient because why? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. The other day at the church I serve in New Jersey, we packed meals for 120,000 human beings in two hours. Two hours. How? Well, 80 people came together and developed an assembly line that was incredibly efficient. Why? Because two are better than one and have a good reward for their toil. By the way, the group that organized that event is called Rise Against Hunger, and we are definitely working with them. I'll be letting you know soon about a day that we can go out and do the same thing. It's super easy. Um, we're definitely doing it because it's a great, great cause. But in contrast, in contrast to partnering up with other people and trying to collaborate, it is the toddler, and let me assure you, having raised three of them, that says regularly, I can do it myself. It is the attitude of the child that refuses to work with another and thereby accomplishes less. So that's the first reason that our preacher says we need other people. We just accomplish more. And I don't think anybody can really argue that. Everybody kind of knows that. But then there's a second reason he gives, and that is greater strength. Greater strength. There's this great song by Simon and Garfunkel called um, I Am a Rock. Anybody ever heard it? By raise of hand, you ever heard the song I'm a Rock? Okay. I'm pretty sure Paul Simon wrote it after a terrible breakup uh, or something. Because um, here's some of the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it to you because no one wants to hear that. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. 
Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love. But I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And it ends with the words profoundly, and a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. I remember going through a breakup in high school and I turned that song and I was like, yeah! <clears throat> Indeed, that, uh, that sentiment that we'll be stronger somehow if we don't make ourselves vulnerable enough to join up and be with others seems to make a certain sense. I mean, it is real. It is real. The community in real community, real, it's going to make you vulnerable, folks. Like for it to happen, no, like eventually some of that barrier has to come down. Some of the facade that we're used to kind of carrying when we walk outside is going to have to go melting away and people are going to have to see things about us that might be like awkward and weird and uncomfortable. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Community is that, but it will make you stronger for having it. C.S. Lewis brought up the person who doesn't want that risk. One of his more famous quotes, one of my favorites, he says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But he continues. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, to love, and I would add, to have community is to be vulnerable. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes sees this as well. He says, in spite of the risks that others may mess you up and may treat you poorly, the reality is there's a question that he asks. What are you going to do if you fall and you're all by yourself? As much as it might stink... As much as somebody might hurt you, the reality is it's pretty nice to have somebody with you if you fall and you can't get up. Verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and there's not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? I remember seeing this strength of community come through loud and clear again my church in California, there was a woman fairly young whose young husband died suddenly of a heart attack. He was actually out playing soccer that morning and just in the midst of playing soccer had a massive heart attack and died, leaving behind her and their three kids, none of whom, I think only one of whom was actually a teenager at the time. 
And so it was just a devastating, devastating moment. As a matter of fact, his wife, buzz and life, and I'm like, what's going on here? And the whole house was filled to the brim with members of my church doing all the things necessary for a house to be run. She was just surrounded by people. The family was just surrounded by people. There was a guy from our church who was, uh, his job was gardening and uh, he was a landscaper. So he was out in the yard fixing the yard. And there was another guy that worked with pools. So he was cleaning her pool. And there was, I mean, all these people, there was people cooking. There was just noise everywhere. And there was people just in her time where she had clearly fallen and had no path forward. All of a sudden she was surrounded by this group of people to say, we're not going to let you stay down there. We're going to be here to help carry you through this. I've seen this same spirit here at Epiphany over and over and over again. It's one of the things I rejoice in the most about this church. Is I love seeing how people talk to each other and embrace the new person in. I love it. It's my favorite thing. I can sit and watch you all just go out in the fellowship hour and just sit back with a big smile on my face the whole time because you, I see the, I see the community growing. The author goes on. Preacher goes on. Verse twelve. And though a man might prevail against one who was alone, two will withstand him. And this is talking about a fight situation. I've been in this kind of situation before. I was younger, of course. I wasn't a pastor yet, so I can get away with telling you this story. Uh, but I, a young friend of mine who was smaller, littler than I, I don't know what he had done. He had probably done something to provoke these guys, but somehow or another, he found himself surrounded by four guys around uh, my age that were older than him that were basically threatening to fight him, and they were surrounding him. And I saw this, and my sort of older brother instinct kicked in for this younger friend of mine, and I went up to them without thinking, and I was like, you're going to have to back off, or else you're going to have to go through me, you know, like an idiot, because they were four guys my size, and I was one, and I would have been pummeled. And just as I had the words come out of my mouth, I remember feeling a sense of dread and fear, like, what have I gotten myself into? Why did I do this? And then I heard behind me, Another friend who I didn't even realize was anywhere near me come up and say, you're going to have to go through me too. And it was the person standing next to me that eventually caused these guys to back down and no fight was to be had. Why? Because though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. So we need community because we accomplish more with others. We just do. We don't accomplish as much if it's just us, if it's just me. We don't accomplish, and we're not strong on our own. We're just not strong enough. We need others to have strength. But then finally, thirdly, the preacher alludes to the fact that with a community of people also comes greater perspective, greater wisdom. And this is really found in verse 13 of our text where it says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. I can think of numerous times in my life 
that I thought I had a situation figured out, that I thought I knew what someone was up to, but then realized upon talking to other people or uh, getting another person's voice that I didn't have the whole story. That ever happened to you? Most of the time, these other people that speak wisdom into my ear are my wife, Missy. She does a good job of stopping me from being dumb. When I first started in the ministry, I can remember a person coming up to me right after I was done preaching, you know, especially when you're just starting off, you're really nervous every time you go out to preach because you're just, you're sort of not sure what you're doing. You're just like, I, I don't, maybe, I don't know, I, I'm trying, you know. And you're just really uncomfortable and insecure. And I remember a man, older gentleman, coming up to me after the service and he just laid into me. He just didn't like my sermon, didn't like the way I'd done the service. And I remember just being like, ah, just feeling so insecure and so upset and so... So I got home, you know, and I was going to tell him, in the name of the Lord, of course, what was wrong with his methodology of coming up to me the way he did and criticizing me that way. So I got on my computer Sunday afternoon, the worst possible time ever for a preacher to write an email in response to anybody. All vulnerable and insecure and wounded, and I'm just... And I'm really going at it. <laughs> and Missy just happens to see what I'm writing. And she, just, she doesn't say, that's the dumbest thing you've ever written. No, because she knows, you know, one of her favorite sayings is, honey is sweeter than vinegar, you know. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's better to be just, just gentle. And so she just said, honey, why don't, you, why don't you just wait to send that off tomorrow morning? Just wait until tomorrow morning. Oh, this woman and her wisdom. Because the next day, after sleeping on my rant, I realized that that letter was bathed in my own sinny sin sin like nothing else. I mean, it was just me and my pride and my wounded ego just coming out on this guy. And uh, long story short, I did not send the email. The point of that is that, you know, just like the author of Ecclesiastes says, you know, you've got this, you've got a king who is so, he, he, stopped, he stopped believing that he's in need of any perspective, any help, any wisdom. He's got it figured out. He says, no, you're a fool. You're a fool if you don't listen to other people because they bring greater perspective and greater clarity and greater, greater wisdom. Now, does that mean that other people always have it figured out? No, not necessarily. But it never hurts to hear another person's opinion about a matter. And actually, the Proverbs instruct us that it is better for us to have many counselors. It's more wise for us to have many people talking to us. So this is why at Epiphany, at our church, I mean, we... I don't make the decisions here alone. I meet with a board of, uh, of leaders every month. And I tell them what I'm thinking, and they tell me, yay, nay. I mean, they sort of, like, we go over it together because I'm not, I'm not wise enough to do this thing on my own. And none of us are wise enough to live this life on our own. So, all this is why we need community according to our short passage tonight. Because we accomplish more, because we're stronger, because we're more wise.
But of course, as necessary as community is, it ain't perfect. And I think it would be dishonest of me to stand up here and extol the great merits of community without acknowledging that even the best of community will let us down, right? Because still, the place is filled with sinners, with imperfect people. And that being let down will happen here too, if it hasn't already. As we grow as a church, I hope it doesn't. I pray against it, but there's a decent chance like cliques get formed. That kind of stuff happens in any community. We always have to sort of guard against it. So the Bible says that we need something stronger than merely other human beings to bond us together. That if it's just community that's bonding us, that eventually it won't be able to hold up under the weight of our expectations, of our needs. And what the Bible says is that thing, actually that person that can bond us together as a community is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Thus the Bible says he is the head of his body, the church. The church is called the body, he's called the head. The picture that is given is a church without Christ being at the head is like the church is a headless body. It doesn't do much good to be a headless body. Now why is it that he truly is able to bond a community of people together? Because on the one hand he proclaims that everyone in this community is on equal footing before him since naturally all have fallen short of the glory of God and are sinners in his sight. No one is more or less sinful or less apt to sin in his sight. All are worthy of judgment. And yet he also proclaims, because of his perfect life, death, and resurrection, that all are equally forgiven by him, none more favored than the other, none given greater status than the other. And those two facts, more than anything else, are ultimately what create just maybe a supernatural community that will be used to bring people into God's community that might just be used to bring transformation. So, with that in mind, I want to show a second video that was made by our friend Will. It features our friend Isaiah here tonight. Now, initially, we interviewed him, just like we did a bunch of you others, and asked him the very simple question of, uh, what does epiphany mean to you? And uh, our goal was to sort of edit it and clip it, splice it down so that we would then make a montage like the first video. But I saw Isaiah's video and I was blown away at how powerful it was, how honest it was, how raw it was, how real it was. So, this is what the community of Epiphany has been used by God to do in our brother's Isaiah, brother Isaiah's life, this is his answer to the question, what does the community of Epiphany mean to him? Watch. Okay, what Epiphany means to me, it means my life. Uh, all my life, I've known what I wanted to be. It was a 
bad guy, a drug dealer. And I carried that through and through, like started that in eighth grade. And that's all I wanted to be. I mean, I've been addicted to every drug there was, uh, tried everything there is to try, sold everything um, all across the U.S. Um, I got an awakening last year. Um, I had a great time. Like I suffer from a, a head thing called uh, schizoaffective disorder, which you bipolar, you hear voices and stuff like that, which kind of pushed me away from everyone. I um, stopped looking at friends as my friends, family as my family. I kind of got shut out. I shut myself out from everything. And well, I ended up in a homeless shelter and some guy at the right time just told me the right things that, you know, God's there for you. He puts you on your path and no matter what you can do, you'll never get off it because it's his path for you. And he, he wouldn't put you there if it wasn't meant to be. So that struck me pretty hard at the lowest point in my life where I didn't want to fight anymore. I'd given it up. I, I was tired of fighting. I was done. And that's all I need to hear. And then uh, I slowly came um, through my in-laws, actually brought me to Epiphany. They go to Eric's church in New York or New Jersey. And uh, they told me just eight blocks down was a church. So I started coming here a week after Mother's Day and I've been coming ever since and love it. A couple of weeks after I asked uh, the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart just from what had happened here, what I'd learned, what I'd heard. It's a life changer for me, this place. It saved me. It's, it's great. And I don't know where I'd be without it. Probably not around. I've tried multiple times in the past because I couldn't handle it by myself, thinking I could to try and end it, either with pills or cut both my wrists. I slashed my face. I have burn marks all over, all self-inflicted because I didn't know how to, where to direct anything. But now God, he gave me a chance to, to change my life around. And what I want to do with my future is relate to other people where I've been. And I think I can touch a lot of people that way and show them the way that I've been taught. Jesus Christ is the answer, Lord our Savior. Father, I thank you for what you can do through a little community in a big city like New York. I thank you that together we can accomplish so much more and that we can be stronger and that we can have more wisdom. And I thank you that through working this way, I, I can't help but think of Jesus' words that through our love for one another, they will know that we are yours, Father. That, that even there, Father, as people come across this community that you are forming and you are gathering, that you're rescuing, you're transforming. So, Father, I pray as we now come to the table as one to practice communion, being at one with one another and with you, that you would remind us once again of all that you've done in order to make this gathering what it is today. We ask, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.